It wasn't stamping feet and upraised voices brought down the mighty walls of Jericho. Not even a trumpet blast, no matter what the story says. It was the faith that stamping feet and upraised voices and a trumpet blast could do such damage that manifested the damage into being. Faith. More powerful than bullets, than bombs, than any petty instruments of mortality. Faith that if you fell, you would be caught. That if you faltered, you would be saved. That if you died, there was yet more life to live. Beneath the black suns, the last survivors marched. Black sand whipped against their every exposed piece of flesh. Grains found their eyes, their mouths, the gaps between the nail and the flesh of their fingers. In one column, the last human survivors led by Mustafa. In the other, far longer column, the transformed children of the Black Sun led by Terry. From across the black dunes came the roars and screams of countless wretched servants of the Death God, jagged mouths vented howls of hatred and of hunger. But the columns did not falter. A strange aura enveloped them as they marched, marched back their own desolate road towards the crater that had once been a city. Affixed in each mind was the single prayer. A buzz on each set of lips was the same chant. Alike each of them were in the same call to faith. That there were other forces at work in this forsaken world besides that death god, his machinations, and his hungers. That the gold song world still existed somewhere that it might yet be found. That they each of them was more than the meat on their bones, than the sum total of amassed sufferings. That if they fell, they would be caught. That if they faltered, they would still be saved. That there was more to this life than death. A simple sort of faith, so far as these things go. But to still have it, even now, to have lived beneath the black sun for years or be born under it, to have seen the monsters and the nightmares and the monstrous nightmares that people can become when desperate enough, hungry enough, mean enough, to have seen the wrath of the death god, to have seen the second black sun open even as the city vanished in an endless scream of metal and asphalt and torn human skin. To endure all that and still, still believe that there was a tomorrow worth slogging through today to reach, that was a faith beyond all comprehension, a power beyond measurement, beyond bullets and bombs and petty gods. The faithful fix the same image in their minds as the shape of their hope. A big man with a big red beard. His companion, smaller 
and quieter, so different but of a piece, two reflections, two halves. On each set of lips, the same names buzzed. Oaks, Mayhew, Oaks, Mayhew, a call and an answer, a body and a shadow, two halves, a whole. Picture them. Picture the faces and shapes you gave them all the way back to that very first dispatch. They've always been here, adding and adapting, a ghost and an imaginary friend, light and dark, death and life. There they are. Hold them. Believe them. Now, picture this. Like any newborn, the plane screams to be alive. It bucks and shakes, screws whining to loosen themselves from their dedicated spots. Cassandra has no idea how this thing is staying together. She has no idea what she is doing. But the plane is aimed straight up, and for now it is holding. For now it is working. For now, all she has to do is lean on the steering wheel and keep pushing up. The plane has no business still flying, but it does. Cassandra feels calm. It is an odd way to face death, she knows, and she's quite sure that death is what she's climbing towards. Maybe the plan works and all the people and former people below will be set free from the yoke of the death god. Good for them. She means it. Good for them. For her, she knows this can only be a one-way trip. She had promised Priya that she would live to see the gold sun again, and it broke her heart to think of that promise being broken. But maybe she could at least give that lost world back to the others. Give them a future. A real one. A tomorrow worth slogging through today to reach. A violent blast of air shook the plane like it was a pebble in the palm of the giant. She had no illusions that it was turbulence. No. The Death God saw the plane breaking from an earthly trajectory. Did he know what they planned? Was he in his heaven even now, unsure whether to mock these insignificant mortals? Or was he beginning to remember what it was to fear? He'd slaughtered fate, disposed of the new gods, eradicated most of the humans. And yet, these last few refused to be cowed. And yet, here came a defiant gnat aiming right for his eyes. The plane shrieks, invisible hands groping its every vulnerable spot and striving with all their unseen might 
to tear it open, the plane shrieks and keeps shrieking. But it holds. There are gaps between the sheet metal now, letting loose freezing currents of whipping winds that strike all about the interior like closed fists. But the plane holds. And in Cassandra's heart, she begins to actually believe. Of course, it wouldn't work for anyone but you, Mr. Oak says. He's not really there. Can't be. Kyle only made the plane with room for one pilot. But she hears him all the same, speaking with that infuriating calm. He does not need to raise his voice above the clatterings of the sky and metal at war. The people down below may believe in us now, but they've always believed in you. Cassandra and her sickle blade, savior of the city made the black sun. And you will save them one last time. They know it. They feel it. And that makes it so. I never wanted it to be so, Cassandra admits. Rain crashes. Lightning carves hysterical divisions in the gray slate sky. She says, I never set out to be a savior. I just... You made a choice, Mr. Oaks finishes. And in choosing, you made yourself chosen. She swallows. The black suns swell behind the storm. The sky folds upon itself even as it stretches impossibly thin. I deliver you, she gasps. You fight him. Maybe you win, maybe he does. But either way, my one-way trip ends here, doesn't it? A hand on her shoulder. A real hand, warm and solid. Priya Patel cannot be there, but she is, and she is smiling. Finish it, she commands. Cassandra, warrior of the city be the black sun, takes up her shining sickle blade one last time. Her heart is full of love. She holds aloft that sickle blade, and she's an atom in a galaxy. She is the mountains. She's a speck of sand on an endless beach. She is the sky. Face to face with the god of death, she swings her sickle blade, shining one last time. Its destination reached and purpose fulfilled, the plane crumples into itself, crushed flat as a sheet of paper. The metal ruin and all inside falls unnoticed back to earth. Thank you.
the gods warred. The sky pulsed and throbbed like angry bruises on injured flesh. In the jagged veins formed there, you could see, were those faces, figures, scar tissue seared into the sky? only to break and shift as insubstantial one moment as it was infinite in the next. No one on the ground had time enough to note the lines in the sky. Even when the sky buckled in on itself and great roars of thunder shook the gray slate sky, even this had to be a secondary concern. For the ground was caught in even more violent frenzy. Black soil vomited up mountains even as it opened up into sinkholes that sank into forever. In the forests, trees bashed themselves to splintered bits against one another. The rivers frothed and boiled, spewing the melted remains of unlucky fish and other creatures. On the cliffs at the edge of the world, the daughter knew one moment of disbelief before the ground below her cracked open, only to seal shut around her waist, snapping her clean in two. She had time enough to observe her own uncoiling guts before the darkness took her. In the caves beneath the cliffs, the former Kyle did not even get such a moment. His cavern squeezed shut, the force of rock and earth reducing the former human to a kind of meat paste that clung to the cavern walls even after they exhaled. And through this broken and breaking and insane world, the pilgrims walked on. For they were pilgrims now. Not refugees, not mere survivors. Purpose ran through them like an electric current. Perhaps that's where the blue glow came from. One line of humans, one line of beasts. One purpose, one faith, one chant. Even as the death god screamed enough to rattle the world and shiver the rafters of the gray slate sky, the chant did not stop, did not hesitate. If they fell, they would be caught. If they faltered, they would be saved. And no matter what, no matter how the death god tantrumed, it did not change the core of their faith, that the gold sun shone somewhere still. It was out there, waiting to share its shine with any bold enough to continue seeking it. A simple sort of faith. A power beyond measure. Rain fell in blinding sheets even as the winds howled. Then rain and wind both halted at once, and all was hot and humid, and the air was so thick it actively repelled you passing through it. But still they tramped those two lines of pilgrims, step by battered step, they pressed back towards the heart of this cursed world. Back to where the city had once stood before the fall. Only then they crested a dune, and there, once more, was the city beneath the black sun, arisen just as it was before the civil war, before the fire bombings, before the death god swallowed it down. It shone diamond perfect without even a broken window to mar its face. It was the city before the black sun. Radiance bloomed in every glint of glass and every polished surface. But the real sight only came into focus when the pilgrims drew closer. 
Silhouettes deepened as features and details revealed themselves. The pilgrims broke their chant, the better to gasp in disbelief. There, lining the rooftops and windows of every building, was everyone who had ever died in the city beneath the black sun. Of course they wept. Of course they called and cried to the shadows and silhouettes of their loved ones. The Black Sun world was a place of many an awful miracle. So why not one good one? Surely the laws of probability meant that at some point the balance had to shift the other way. Right? They could give themselves to this belief, right? Believe it into perfect being, couldn't they? Terry was no different, no better. Alongside all his fellow humans, he searched the shimmering jewel of the city for the face he longed most to see. As if summoned, the face appeared exactly where his eyes fell. Mike smiled back at him. No bullet would break his face. No veil of blood coated him and separated him. No pale death wreathed his features and stuck his limbs into thoughtless angles. Fake! Terry screamed. His heart burned. Every piece and every part of him hurt. His eyes, his inhuman eyes, leaked all to human tears. But he steeled himself and called again. Fake! Lies! Bullshit! He had loved Mike. He would always love Mike. Mike had been with him through every hardship and ordeal experienced since the kaiju attack. And Mike was dead. The Mike that he loved, loved still, that he carried with him, was dead. That grief was a part of him now, carved onto and into his very bones. To deny it was to deny the boy that he had loved. Reduce him down to a name, a face, easily faked, meaningless. How dare they? How fucking dare they? Fake, bullshit, lies! Other pilgrims broke from their reverie. The ones who'd been moving towards the city now stopped. Our loved ones aren't masks for that fucker to put on to keep us distracted, Terry declared. Mayhew and Oaks are winning. That's why that son of a bitch is trying this. He held out his hands. For the gold son, in the name of everyone we've lost, call their names, bring them, though reel them to give you strength. Come on. Weeping, Mustafa took Terry's hand. Another gargoyle took the other, and a human woman took the gargoyles. Reluctantly, the pilgrims regrouped.
on top of that dune in the shadow of the false city, they stood in line and raised their voices. Raised them with the names of fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, friends, lovers, those who could never be defined. They sang those names and, and yes, it did feel as though they were no longer a line of pilgrims, but an army. At their backs stood all those vanished beloveds, as real as the sand, the sky, the air, as real as the grief that carried them onward after the end. And the dead sang too, and an army appeared at their back, and the dead sang too, on and on and on, until the air vibrated with the force of it, the song of life sung by the dead, the song of love undimmed even in a land that had room only for death. For there is magic beyond petty death, a gold sun always waiting to be found. As the chant grew and grew, the heavens continued to quake. The black sun swelled larger and larger, its surfaces writhing with pregnant fury. They grew so huge that Terry had half a mind to reach out and pop them with one sharp claw. And he could too. For the expression within those black eyes was utter terror. He felt the hand on his shoulder. He turned. Mike. He can't be there. But he is. Really is. And he's smiling. Finish it, he says. Terry empties his lungs, his heart, his all. The blue glow blazes, rises. The sky burns. The black suns bubble and bleed. All is crashing and thrashing and mania and noise. A dying man clinging to life. Or, no. We leave this world screaming and fighting. But that's how we enter it, too. Every ending worth its salt is a beginning. When Mike opened his eyes, he stood atop a dune, hand in hand with his fellow pilgrims. Beyond them is the tangled remains of the city, amassed like so much vomit. Behind them is nothing but open desert. This was a secondary concern. For above them was an endless blue sky. Snug in that field of tranquil blue was a new sun, this one of pulsing white light. Beside it, smaller but alike in brilliance, was a black sun, a god of life and a god of death. Oaks and Mayhew, balanced at last. Terry knelt, clutched the black sand in his fists, and began to sob. Even though he knew Mike was with him, even now, even still, he did not stop his weeping for a very long time. No one minded. They all had their own tears to shed.
the god of life and the god of death, strode side by side through the toppled remnants of the city that housed them, incubated them, and killed them. A dream and a ghost. Almost like the start of a joke. Only, there are no bars to walk into. They're still crying to the new god of death. He saw them from a distance from where he stood, and he saw them from above. One of his eyes glowed with a weird black light. And also he was there, unseen, among them in their grief and in their joy. He lived in them, just as they did in him. It was a very strange new sensation. Their tears will dry, the God of Life proclaimed, and then they will find their way down here, to us. What then? Then we will let them decide. The God of Death nodded. The part of him that was still Mr. Mayhew eyed his counterpart with hungry desire. The part of him that was Death felt desire and hunger just as deeply but towards different appetites. And us? he asked. What about us? The god of life stroked the chin of his creator, his destroyer, his other half. I suspect that you'll chase me, and I'll chase you. Sometimes we might even catch each other. And I suspect that this will go on for quite some time. Forever, crooned the Death God. The God of Life nodded. For a start. The two new deities that each of them sculpted from shifting waves of light and shadow took up their appointed spots. Gathering themselves to themselves, they stood in patient wait for the pilgrims to pick their way through the rubble and arrive at last to their reward. Stay tuned for the final episode of Black Sun Dispatches, brought to you by the Cinepunks Podcast Network.